Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. On March 4th of this year, Dr. David Perlmutter dropped a blog post on his website called PCOS and the Role of Uric Acid. He said in the post that uric acid serves as a central player in metabolic issues, and this makes it reasonable to wonder if uric acid is elevated in PCOS and whether it's playing a role in the common metabolic issues associated with this condition. Well, when this blog post dropped, it really created quite a stir in the PCOS Diva community. Uh, Lots of questions. What is uric acid and what does this really mean for women with PCOS? So I was thrilled when I reached out to Dr. Perlmutter to see if he would be willing to come on and discuss his findings on the PCOS Diva podcast. So I'm really honored that he said yes. So welcome, Dr. Perlmutter. I am very delighted to be with you today. Thank you for having me. Well, let me just give uh, my listeners a little bit of your background if they're not familiar with your work. You are a board-certified neurologist and a five-time New York Times bestselling author. Dr. Perlmutter serves on the board of directors and is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. Dr. Perlmutter's books have been published in 32 languages and include the number one New York Times bestseller, Grain Brain, The Surprising Truth About Wheat, Carbs, and Sugar, with over 1 million copies in print. And his latest book, Drop Acid, focuses on the pivotal role of uric acid in metabolic diseases. And it was just published in February. And I picked up my copy right after reading that blog post. Um, And I have to say thank you for writing Grain Brain. I, uh, early on in my PCOS journey, realized that I was sensitive to gluten and felt so much better. Um, when I removed it from my diet, but you know, knowledge is power. And when you continue to read about what food does to your body, um, both, you know, good and bad, it really empowers you to make better choices for yourself. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for this new book. So 
let's just jump right in. Tell us what is uric acid? Well, Amy, again, thank you for having me. And I, I think just to take a, a brief step back, I would say that um, it, it was very and remains very important for me to call attention to this issue of PCOS representing really a global concern, uh, <clears throat> not just be how it affects the ability of women to become pregnant, but because of the profound associated uh, metabolic issues that it uh, is seen to run with. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that it's one thing for uh, people to have discussions about the you know, the androgenic sorts of issues that women have when they're suffering from PCOS. But it's really these metabolic problems that become, uh, you know, really in the long run, far more important in that, you know, as you know, <clears throat> with PCOS, there's increased risk of obesity, of diabetes, of hypertension, of stroke. And having said that, uh, you know, these are <clears throat> the harbingers to the chronic degenerative conditions that the World Health Organization characterizes right now as we have this conversation as being the number one cause of death on our planet. Not a virus, not war, not trauma. It is the chronic degenerative condition. So what I'm trying to establish here is that it's so important that we recognize that PCOS is you know, a, a far more important issue than simply you know, weight gain and facial hair and loss of menstruation and, and you know, infertility, that this is ultimately <clears throat> setting the stage because of its metabolic consequences for some really serious issues mm -hmm. down the line. And, uh, and it, that's the reason I wrote that blog, because the book Drop Acid was written because we now understand that elevation of uric acid uh, is not just related to things like weight gain, increased blood sugar, increased blood pressure, but is actually playing a causative role. And that's a big step for people of my generation who in medical school were told that, hey, elevation of uric acid only is important in the context of gout or kidney stones. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, people, you know, they don't need to consider it. Well, you know, that's kind of your grandfather's uric acid. We now know that uric acid is mechanistically, it's playing a causal role in elevation of blood pressure, in elevation of our blood sugar, in causing the body to <clears throat> make higher levels of fat and store that fat, all as a survival mechanism. So that our ancestors, with their uh, elevation of uric acid, would have a better chance at surviving by making a little more fat. They would survive during times of food scarcity by raising their blood sugar, would be able to power their brains when they couldn't eat, uh, and raising their blood pressure would still allow them to supply blood to their vital organs even if they couldn't find water. It's only in the context of our modern world that these issues now are associated with threats, again, as I mentioned earlier, of these chronic degenerative conditions that are the number one cause of death on our planet. So it was very intriguing to <clears throat> review the literature that shows that as an average, uh, women with diagnosed PCOS have at least an 8% increase of their uric acid. This, is a, this connects some really important dots. Because again, 
in the context of the metabolic issues that women with PCOS are at risk for, which are serious, and the fact that their uric acid levels are elevated, and the fact that uric acid elevation brings these situations on, I said to myself, you know, it's time to write a blog about this because it's mm -hmm. very important. It's so interesting how you framed um, the, the, the higher levels of uric acid as um, uh, kind of a survival mechanism. And I know it's been suggested that women with PCOS have sort of survival genetics that, you know, our higher levels of insulin resistance helped us in times of famine. So it does sort of make sense that- Good our, for you. I mean, yeah. that, not everybody gets their arms around that right off the bat. That's great. Yeah. So the, it, it kind of makes sense that these elevated levels of uric acid um, would happen in women with PCOS. And I know in your article, you had referenced a study that showed that it was- um, independent of BMI. And there's a lot of women that have like the thin phenotype of PCOS, and that's myself um, included, that we still, even though we're thin PCOS, we still have levels of insulin resistance. Um, that's so, right. And, yeah. you know, that that's an interesting concept right there, because uh, <clears throat> we see this far beyond uh, PCOS. We see this in men. Uh, and women without the the uh, hormonal issues suggestive of PCOS. And we call this TOFI, T-O-F-I, meaning thin on the outside, fat on the uh, inside, meaning that although you have a normal body mass index and you, you don't look uh, necessarily overweight, nonetheless, there are accumulations of fat in, um, in the, the viscera, within the body, in the liver, for example, that do present a health risk. And this is precisely what uric acid does when it is elevated. It increases the amount of fat stored within the liver, leading to what we call non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And, uh, you know, that is certainly quite threatening. And so it's a very good point that you make. So... Uh, it, could we back up again for so, sure. so many, so many women that are listening, you know, they may have heard, like, as you mentioned, the correlation between uric acid and gout, but don't really know what uric acid is. Can, can you, so um, let me, let me start by saying that uric acid <clears throat> is an alarm signal in the body. It's screaming to the body that, uh, winter is coming. It's saying that we are not going to have food over the next several months. We had better make fat as an energy resource. We better store our fat and not use it for now because we're going to need it. We need to ratchet down the energy in this body because we need to not burn as many calories. We need to raid the, raise the blood sugar so that we can keep our brains powered so we can find food and avoid being eaten by another animal. So we need to be clever. And we need to raise the blood pressure. That's what uric acid does. It serves as a survival signal in the body to prepare for winter. And, you know, our hunter-gatherer ancestors would increase their uric acid by eating fruit only in a very small window of the year in the late summer, early fall, when they would stumble upon some wild blueberries or whatever and eat as much of them as they could not of course understanding this was going on in their physiology but eating it because it was sweet and that you know takes us to the place of why we like sweet we are hardwired to love sweet because it's instructing our body to prepare for winter 
and it's telling us that that food is safe to eat because in nature, by and large, foods that are toxic are not sweet. Sweet is an indication that the food is safe to eat. So our ancestors would eat, would, would stumble on the, the blueberries or other types of fruit and eat as much of it as they could. And that was a powerful superpower, if you will, to allow them uh, to survive. And you know, nowadays, <clears throat> what's happening is we are targeting that mechanism 365 days a year for the winter that will never come. You know, we're not going to hibernate and we're, or we're not going to likely be cut off from any food for the next uh, four to six months. So there's no reason that we need to raise our blood, blood sugar, blood pressure and make more body fat. And that's exactly what's going on. So as it relates to PCOS, you know, here is a, a syndrome uh, in which <clears throat> we see all of these metabolic issues, the, the elevated blood pressure, the uh, increased risk for stroke, heart disease, uh, gesta gestational diabetes, and even type 2 diabetes in and of itself, obviously without pregnancy. These are all issues that are the downstream consequence in even non-PCOS individuals when their uric acid levels are elevated. So uh, this becomes a very interesting, I think, new tool in the toolbox for everyone mm -hmm. who is suffering from metabolic issues. And, you know, let's call it like it is. Here in America, 88% of adults, men and women, have at least one component of what we call the metabolic syndrome. That means only one in eight American adults, again, both genders, uh, are medically or is metabolically intact. So, you know, we live in a country where a third of our adult population is not just overweight, but obese. And that number is predicted in the distant future in the year 2030. That's a long way away, right? Eight years from now, that number will be 50%. One in two adults will not just be overweight, but will be clinically obese. So, you know, it's, it's in our uh, interest to look for reasons why we're having this incredible degree of metabolic mayhem, if you will. And now that uric acid has been determined not just to be, you know, on the sidelines, there was actually uh, a report published in 2016, collaborative report from Turkish and Japanese researcher, uh, researchers, and it, it was entitled, the title says everything, Uric Acid in Metabolic Syndrome from Innocent Bystander to a Central Player. Meaning, yeah, you know, we've seen elevation of uric acid correlated uh, with obesity, with hypertension, with um, elevated blood sugar for a long time. But these authors made it very clear that it's not, it doesn't just happen to be elevated, it's playing a role in causing these issues. And now that we see this elevation of uric acid characterizing women with diagnosed PCOS and understand that they have significant metabolic issues, then it sure makes sense in giving us a powerful new tool mm -hmm. to target their uric acid and bring it down to gain better control over their blood sugar, their blood pressure, and certainly their you know predilection for making increased levels of fat and storing that fat that they mm. do make. I love that viewing it as a tool or a metric. Um, I know in your book, you're a fan of the continuous glucose monitor as I, as am I, because I think it's a great way to see how the lifestyle changes you make 
is impacting, you know, your physiology. <laughs> um, That's for sure. Yeah. And so um, is there a test that, you know, as a consumer can get uh, to, to measure your, your uric acid levels? Oh, it's very, very easy. Any doctor can order it uh, at the lab, at their office. Uh, but you can go online and uh, go to Amazon and get a home uric acid monitor uh, that you put a drop of your blood on a test strip, just like we used to do with blood sugar before we had a CGM, continuous glucose monitors. And you'll know your uric acid level in about five seconds. So, you know, we talk about that in drop acid, how to measure, when to measure. And then importantly, I think the take home message uh, for our time together today is why is my uric acid level elevated and what do I do to fix it? And the good news is that understanding uh, part one and acting on part two are both very, very simple. So part one, where does it come from? In our modern world, by and large, it is from the sugar fructose. Fructose is added to more than 60% of the packaged uh, food sold in America's grocery stores. And fructose is directly metabolized in the human body to uric acid, setting off the alarm signal that winter's coming, make fat, raise blood sugar, raise blood pressure. It is that straightforward. Where do we get fructose? Well, the name fructose is derived from fruit sugar. So fructose is naturally found in fruits and in vegetables. But as it turns out, the fructose content in an apple or in fruits and vegetables in general is not really that high. It's not really to the point that eating some fruit is going to raise your uric acid level. Uh, fruit juice, on the other hand, bombards your body with up to 32 grams in a glass of juice with sugar. And a lot of that sugar is fructose. So what I'm saying is, you know, I know your listeners right now are scratching their heads. You mean he just said we shouldn't drink fructose? We shouldn't drink fruit juice? The answer is that is exactly what I'm saying. The amount of fructose that you get in a glass of apple juice is about the same as you get in drinking a glass of uh, soda. So uh, it, it's an incredible large amount of fructose that overwhelms your body's ability to deal with it. And lo and behold, Uric acid level will spike and tell your body winter is coming. Make fat, store fat, become insulin resistant. That's what happens when we drink organic, wonderful or, uh, apple juice that was made by elves or whatever. You know, it's <laughs> the best apple juice in the world. It's got so much fructose. There's nothing natural about that. I can assure you that our hunter-gatherer forebears didn't stumble upon trees laden with cartons of apple juice or orange juice. Nothing natural about that, as opposed to eating an apple that might contain five grams, which is a low amount of fructose, with fiber to slow its absorption, with vitamin C to aid in its excretion and therefore lower the uric acid value, ultimately. And uh, also uh, with uh, things like quercetin that help the body reduce its production of uric acid. So <clears throat> fructose and its hidden sources in our sauces and condiments and what have you is the issue of the day. Uh, other issues are, of course, foods that are high in a chemical called purines, a class of chemicals. And these are the organ meats like liver and kidney, 
uh, and certainly some types of alcohol dramatically increase uric acid. And these are things like hard alcohol and beer. Uh, beer is a double whammy because it, it's, you know, has alcohol, but it also is rich in what I just mentioned, purines, because it's made from yeast and yeast has a lot of purines. Wine isn't really an issue in moderation. Wine consumption actually in women is associated with a slight lowering of the uric acid. In men, it seems to be about neutral. So those are the dietary things to be aware of. Uh, we do know that a specific nutritional supplement or actually a suite of supplements are really helpful in bringing that uric acid under control. And I'll explain what that means in just a moment. These include quercetin, available at the health food store, quercetin, 500 milligrams a day, vitamin C, 500 milligrams a day, and something called luteolin, L-U-T-E-O-L-I-N, 100 milligrams a day. Any buy them online, buy them at the health food store. Uh, but it's these are actually uh, very straightforward, uh, easy to come by nutritional supplements. And <clears throat> then you can know uh, what kind of progress you're making. If, for example, you get a home uric acid monitor and are able to monitor your level. Now, here's a point that is really fundamentally uh, important. And that is, if you go to a blood lab or to a doctor's office, you will learn that the normal level of uric acid is seven milligrams per deciliter or lower. So if you know you call your doctor's office a couple of days later after you had your blood work and she or he says, uh, <clears throat> well, you're, you're in the normal range and you press it, you say, well, I, I, I appreciate that, that's great, but what's the number? And they say, well, it's under seven, you're good to go. Please understand that that number of under seven only relates to gout risk. It mm. has nothing to do with these metabolic issues, the blood pressure, the increased fat production, the increased insulin resistance, the metabolic issues that begin to happen at a level of 5.5 or above. So that's, you know, Amy, a very important take home message for all of the listeners right now is that the level that your doctor says is cool, don't worry about it, you don't have gout under seven, that's not good enough for the listeners of your podcast. They want to get their uric acid level at 5.5 or lower because that's when you begin to see the real profound metabolic advantage offered by getting your uric acid level lowered. So you had mentioned quercetin, which I just thought was interesting because a couple of years ago, quercetin kind of became, became the um, breakthrough supplement for PCOS because it helped with inflammation, it helped with testosterone balance, and it helped with insulin resistance and obesity. And now I'm wondering if really the reason is it was helping with lowering your uric acid. And um, in your article about PCOS, you found that there was, or, or you, you found research that showed there was a strong relationship between testosterone levels that were elevated and uric acid level, which- Right, I, and in fact, in that research, the uh, that was the only hormone uh, that seemed mm -hmm. to show this relationship. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I think uh, quercetin is a, you know, a really top tier nutritional supplement. Uh, I take it every day myself. And you are correct that not only does it target the uh, important enzyme, 
in the production of uric acid called xanthine oxidase, which is actually where the gout drugs work, and it does it almost as well as prescription drugs. But it does other things that, you know, in the context of PCOS, would be very, very helpful. Uh, quercetin turns on something called AMPK. Now, that sounds kind of challenging, but I would bet that some of the people on your podcast have talked about this before. AMPK is a signal to the body that the hunting is good. And what I mean by that, it tells the body, don't need to make fat, don't need to store fat, increase energy utilization, and most importantly, as you just alluded, uh, it tells the body to stop making um, sugar, stop making glucose, working directly in the liver to turn down a process called gluconeogenesis, the making of glucose de novo. So that's what happens when we stimulate this pathway called AMPK, AMP kinase. That's why we want that pathway to be lit up. One of the best things we can do to activate AMPK is physical exercise. We can activate it with quercetin. We can also take a drug that is very commonly used uh, in the PCOS world called metformin. Metformin acts by activating AMP kinase, because we see that AMP kinase seems to be less active in PCOS women. Interestingly, one of the main detrimental issues related to uric acid is it shuts down AMP kinase. Oh, and wow. actually, what it does is it activates the evil twin of AMP kinase. AMP kinase has an evil twin in, in the body. <laughs> called AMP deaminase. So when AMP deaminase is active, then it tells the body that's the signaling mechanism, make fat, store fat, make more blood sugar through the liver. Uh, all the things that we're trying to avoid, not just women with PCOS, but anybody who wants to you know, achieve metabolic wellness. So uric acid, the, the signaling mechanism by which it works, works directly against what you what your fundamental goal is with PCOS, and that is activating this AMPK pathway. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of women uh, with PCOS, they're looking for the magic pill. So you had mentioned um, metformin, um, and then some of these these great supplements. But I, in my viewpoint, uh, that you really can't out supplement a bad diet and lifestyle. So, uh, and I know, I know the answer to this because I've read your book, but there's, there's more to this than just some supplements, correct? And, and you're right. And by, you know, by, uh, definition supplements are supplemental. They are tagged on or added to, and you can't out supplement a crappy diet. You can't out exercise a crappy diet. It you're exactly right. It all begins really <clears throat> with the food that we eat that will help keep uric acid in check, that will help keep the microbiome healthy, which is also disturbed in PCOS, uh, that will help keep our blood sugar in check. You are 100% correct. Now, having said that, um, I don't know that there's anybody I would not recommend taking a few key supplements because you know the diet would work if we lived in the world of our hunter-gatherer forebears, mm -hmm. but we don't. So, you know, we're challenged by 
various types of stress, by various types of toxins. And our diets, though we try, are not, you know, don't perfectly emulate the diets of our hunter-gatherer forebears. That said, I, I strongly believe that there is a place for a core set of supplements. You know, I, I take quercetin every day along with extra vitamin C uh, and uh, vitamin D. I take a, a, what's called an NAD precursor, and certainly I take a probiotic. So I take other things, DHA as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I, quercetin is right there, you know, in the core group of supplements that I think are important. And in terms of PCOS and the goal in PCOS of targeting and activating this AMP kinase and offsetting the damage to AMP kinase done by elevation of uric acid, which is ever so common in association with PCOS, I think quercetin might well be something that people with PCOS consider. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's something that um, I've been taking. I, I take it in a... Uh, my diva defense formula, it's like an immune support with vitamin C and quercetin and D, but it's, um, I think I'll be adding it rather than just in that, that winter time period where you want that extra immune support to more than all, all year round after reading your book. Uh, there was a couple other ways that I think PCOS divas would be interested in, in how you can lower your uric acid and um, you mentioned coffee. Uh, so many of us love coffee. Uh, and maybe you could just- I am, I am there. I mean, yeah. people who know me would say, well, you only put it in the book because it, it's self-serving. And uh, <laughs> I'm the first to admit that. Let me tell you, uh, I I love my morning coffee. It's, it's a great thing. Uh, but interestingly, we know that uh, there are certain drugs that uh, elevate- uric acid and commonly used drugs like aspirin, uh, like the proton pump inhibiting acid blocking drugs used by 15 million Americans, mm. diuretic drugs to help uh, lose water, help lower the blood pressure. Oh, but like spironolactone that a lot bet. of women with PCOS are on? Well, let me tell you something that's even more interesting. And that is that uh, uric acid is elevated by supplemental testosterone. Now, what does that mean in terms of women who have higher levels of testosterone by virtue of their PCOS? I don't know the answer to that. I think it's certainly worth uh, exploring, but uh, testosterone administration uh, is associated with increased uric acid. So something to think about. There, you also had mentioned um, tart cherry juice, which is, you know, we think of as helping with increasing melatonin and sleep. Um, and I was actually looking, you had, you have a resource to get an extract to make a mocktail. You have some great, uh, recipes in your book, but that's one that looks interesting to me. Sure. And, uh, we call them the love diet, LUV, lower uric values. But, uh, if people do see, I don't know if you're going to have a graphic with this podcast, but the, the drop acid, the cover of the book, the O is a cherry falling down. And that's the reason we did that because cherries have been, uh, tart cherries and the extracts have been used as gout therapy for uh, decades, and be, you know because there's science behind them indicating that they seem to dramatically lower uric acid, probably because they are sources of certain bioflavonoids that target that enzyme that help lower uric acid, like quercetin and luteolin do. 
you know, again, quercetin has been shown um, in one study of, of young men with elevated uric acid, even mild elevation of uric acid, that just 500 milligrams a, a day over about an eight-week period dropped their uric acid by an 8% uh, reduction. That's huge. Uh, that is right there with what you'd expect from taking a drug. So uh, when we consider all the other upsides of, of quercetin, quercetin, it you know, again, it's a supplement and I wish we could do everything by changing our diets and mm -hmm. targeting our gut bacteria, et cetera. But I think that uh, many of your listeners are now going to get their uric acid level checked and we'll see that in fact, it's above where it needs to be. Again, that number 5.5, not what the doctor may say is seven. Seven mm -hmm. is interesting as above seven, that's when the uric acid starts to precipitate in the blood and form crystals. But long before that, it's screaming to the body, winter's coming and we need to make the body fatter and raise the blood pressure. You know, all of these metabolic issues that are such uh, important components of PCOS, even in PCOS males. Now that may mm -hmm. be an eyebrow razor, but you how could males have polycystic ovarian syndrome? Well, they don't have polycystic ovaries, obviously, but there are males who have the the elevation of the androgens and experience this whole panorama of metabolic issues. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, aside from their, you know, the fertility issues and the ovarian issues, uh, have basically what would be considered PCOS in males. Um, you know, and, and truthfully in women, uh, they don't have to necessarily, as you well know, your, your listeners know, don't have to have cysts in the ovaries uh, per se to have these issues, these metabolic issues and the, the androgen uh, elevation that characterizes this whole syndrome. Right. And there, it, PCOS has such a strong genetic component. And yeah, we've heard from on the podcast, Dr. Andrea Deneif, who's a big PCOS researcher, and she talks about that male sort of genetic form of PCOS. So if you're interested right, in hearing about that. Let me just that, say yeah. that if, if PCOS were a genetic, purely a genetic issue, then we wouldn't expect to see such a dramatic change uh, in its uh, prevalence with time. And yet, as, mm. as you well know, it's increasing dramatically. That doesn't speak to it being a genetic disorder. Now, there is a genetic predisposition or risk factor clearly associated with it. We see that, uh, you know, there are some familial issues, but the fact that it's increasing uh, in its prevalence so dramatically speaks to something extrinsic, something environmental. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, mostly this focuses on uh, hormone mimicking uh, chemicals in the environment, but mm -hmm. I'd say mostly diet and changes in the microbiome are, t are at play. Before I let you go, I would love for you to, to um, just speak on this topic. So I had on uh, a wonderful couple, they run the social media um, pages of Seed Oil Rebellion, and they were on talking about the dangers of vegetable oils and seed oils that are kind of masqueraded nowadays as healthy. Like think about all of those organic, non-GMO packaged products that use sunflower oil and, um, and even or organic canola oil. 
And in your book, you mentioned uh, vegetable oils and, and seed oils. And I'd love for you to just sort of share your viewpoint on, on those oils for us. Sure. And I would say that the easiest thing to consider in terms of making your selection about what dreaded fat you consume. I mean, I, and I say that tongue in cheek because, you know, in, in my earlier years uh, in medical school and uh, early in my practice, fat, fat in any form uh, was dreaded because, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you ate a high fat diet, your children would be born naked or some terrible thing would happen. <laughs> so, uh, but I think that to make a global statement that nowadays we believe uh, that uh, fat is a good choice is unfair because there are good and bad uh, fats. You know, certainly uh, there is very much concern about the highly modified uh, vegetable oils that line the grocery store shelves and are available in uh, clear plastic bottles where they're exposed to light and therefore heat and uh, can, can really set the stage for dramatic increase, not only of inflammation in the body, but in building cells whose cell membranes are made from inferior components. The membrane lining every cell in the body, including the immune cells and the neurons, which are the brain cells, are made of fat and they're made from the fat that is available uh, to our bodies, and that's the fat that we consume. So we've got to be really super specific about the fats that we consume. And I think the easiest thing would be to ask yourself, what were the fats that our hunter-gatherer forebears could conceivably have uh, consumed? And they would not have been uh, refined vegetable oils, corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, uh, and certainly a manufactured oil called canola oil that was originally developed as an industrial lubricant and somehow has now found its way into the human diet. The reason is that these high omega-6 oils are pro-inflammatory. That would be about the last thing in the world anyone should want to consume, much less an individual who has a, 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 a situation like PCOS in which there are multiple factors that are already increasing this process called inflammation, setting the stage for chronic degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, coronary artery disease, diabetes, and even certain forms of cancer. So what might our hunter-gatherer forebears have stumbled upon? Well, any type of oil that would be found uh, in a fruit or vegetable, mostly a vegetable, that you would find uh, during your hunting and gathering. And I think we could consider that they may have stumbled upon things like avocados and coconuts. Uh, certainly uh, eating uh, beef, uh, eating meat would give uh, some fat into the diet. Uh, butter uh, would be something that would be derived, you know, from utilization of dairy products. And certainly eating olives and, and, and olive oil, therefore, uh, one of the strongest, most influential components, I believe, of the Mediterranean diet, although there are others. These are important uh, oils, uh, certainly uh, animal-derived types of things as well, like the oil we would get from eating fatty fish, all positive, higher in the omega-3s, good for the brain, good for inflammation, good for insulin sensitivity, all of which would certainly pose clear benefit for uh, an individual with uh, PCOS. So uh, I am, uh, you know, as it relates to the seed oil rebellion, I'm 
pretty much dialed in with exactly what it is that they are talking about and how important it is not just to welcome fat back to the table, uh, but to recognize the salubrious nature of the good fats that we consume in terms of every organ system in the body from uh, the outside, from the skin to the gut, to the heart and brain. So fat is back. Well, thank you. That was a great way to kind of put an exclamation point on this podcast. And thank you for writing this book and uh, writing your your specific PCOS and uric acid article. I think that really opened a lot of our eyes uh, to this important topic. You know, I I had a a feeling that it would. uh, And I, I just, I have a feeling that amongst my integrative functional uh, types of doctors, there is, <clears throat> I think, oh, I, I don't know how to say this politically correct. But let's just say a, a, a um, more of a sense of wanting to embrace the PCOS community as opposed as opposed to mainstream medicine, which kind of says, you know, basically, well, uh, take your metformin and be on your way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because it's, it's a multifactorial uh, kind of issue. There are many roads that led to the PCOS in the first place. And there are many approaches that need to be leveraged to help women. And as we mentioned, men as well, uh, get through it. It's not just take uh, a, a prescription medication and hope for the best. And this is when I think people in general need to think about being their own health advocates and charting their own health destiny. And the way to do that is to become empowered with information. And and I have to say, you know, that's the kind of thing uh, that you do, Amy, on, on this podcast. And it, I just think it's so wonderful that you do it. You take the time, you do the research, and you bring out this information for anyone who's going to listen. And, you know, hopefully that will be a lot of people. Oh, well, thank, thank you for that. And, uh, and I could tell you that it is the integrative functional medical community that is really making the difference for women with PCOS. There's so much frustration with, you know, mainstream medical that I we're just, it. yeah, we're so grateful for folks like yourself and, um, you know, and I just, I, I'm glad to give, give you all a platform here on but I've been doing it since 2014. I think this is maybe my 180th episode, which it's it's been a labor of love. But um, I'm so glad that you said yes. And I, I know that we've uh, really enlightened a lot of women today. So pick up a copy of Drop Acid. I know I got mine on Amazon. Uh, I'm assuming it's at, um, all the major book retailers as well. Oh, it is uh, around the world now, which is a great thing. And and then check out um, Dr. Perlmutter's website and our, and social media. Could you just give us your handles there on your? Sure, I, I think the best place, the clearinghouse, would be drperlmutter.com. Drperlmutter. Uh, dot com. That uh, that's where everything kind of begins. From there, there are links to my podcast, the Empowering Neurologist, and. Uh, you know, all the information, we have a huge database of searchable information. So uh, every study like the one you mentioned, the correlation between elevation of uric acid and PCOS, uh, they're all, the actual full PDFs are available there. And um, a- as well as the blogs that I write 
based upon these uh, literature citations. So that's the best place to start. Perfect. And I will put those links and the link to that blog post that I was talking about in the show notes at PCOSDiva.com. And thank you again. And thank you to everyone who's listening. I look forward to being with you again very soon. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.